Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. Hello, welcome to part two of the mini-series on redundancy and finding a new job with Lizzie Harris. In the first part, we discussed our experience going through redundancy and our approach to looking for a new job. There's so many books and podcasts you can listen to about this experience where it's all about the opportunities and being resilient and what you do and how you deal with it and not burning bridges and all that sort of stuff. But on the other hand you can just deal with that later and for a while you're allowed to be sad you're allowed to be angry i think anger was the main theme for a while actually in our team in this second part of the conversation we discussed recruitment processes that we went through what we felt was right and what issues we believe need to be addressed from the lack of clarity on take home assignments and when it is best to include them in the process to finding a balance between interviews with HR and hiring managers. We also discussed barriers to inclusion and diversity that we faced in the process. Before we get into the conversation, I just wanted to highlight that this is based on what myself and Lizzie have experienced this year. We recognize that everyone will have their own unique experience and in fact, ours were quite different from each other. Hey, Lizzie. Hey, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. So this is the second part of our mini-series on redundancies and looking for a new job and, and all these things. And last time we spoke about our experience going through redundancy, but also our experience looking for, well, not our experience looking for a job, but how we approached um, looking for a new job. And what I thought we could talk about today was really improving the recruitment process. So the good, the bad, and what can be done better. I feel like hiring in data has been a hot topic for a while. And we talk about how expensive it is and how stressful. So last time we were talking about from a candidate perspective, how it's a full-time job and some people are having to do that the side of their full-time job. So basically having two jobs at the same time. But yeah, I thought if we could chat about our experience, especially yours, going through the process and what we felt could be done better. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been sad and fun. It's It's been a journey of experience. I think experience is the right word. You mentioned there that we could, did you say fix or improve the recruitment process? We can we can share our experiences and we can maybe make sure that we take forward the learnings we've had into our, the, our own that we do in the future. I'm not sure we can uh, fix everyone. Oh, well, we're not going to fix everyone, <laughs> but hopefully we can inspire some people to make things better. <laughs> Definitely. So do you want to share a story, one of the stories of your recruitment process that you, you had to go through? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, there's so much. Where should we start? I think to start with the difference between kind of recruit going through this when you do have a job versus when you don't is when you do have a job, you're not, no matter how desperate you might be to leave or something, you're not necessarily desperate to get a job. You might be desperate mm. to get that, that particular opportunity you're going after, but you're not panicking that you're not going to have money to pay the bills if you're in kind of current employment that, that would otherwise continue. I think the difference with this scenario, if you're going through redundancy and you're definitely leaving your current situation, is you need to make sure the bills get paid and therefore you could end up settling. Or maybe you say yes to the wrong opportunity or take less money than you should just to, just to get something. So it's a bit more, there's more on the line for it, definitely. And also, rather than necessarily just going after one opportunity because it sounds particularly great, you're there, which might be a timely thing in your current role. In this scenario, you're you're just seeing what's in the market right now and you're going for as much of that as possible. And that's why it becomes a full time job. Yeah. Yeah, so, definitely. But I think also, you know, some processes are so long with so many different steps that you have to do. And also the test and the case studies that take quite a long time to, I hate yeah. take home assignment when you're working full time and it's like, you have to do a take home assignment. I hate them when I'm not even working full time. <laughs> I just, I hate them, really do. I think I've done a few of those this summer and I've not enjoyed any of them I think it's because I've not understood the role or the brief properly and I think when you just get sent and I've been guilty of sending these out to people in the past as well and it's made me reflect a lot on that but when you get it through this piece of work to do like I read through one there were two separate tasks and I thought this is going to take me at least a week to do these Mm. and they want me to come in on a Monday morning at 8 30 a.m into some remote corner of London which is just feasibly impossible anyway to get to and also demonstrates how inflexible they might be as a as a company to work for if all their colleagues are in at that time on a Monday morning for a job that I wasn't even sure I wanted on paper to start with it was fine but after I just I sweated about it for a few nights thinking I've got to get this done and then I was like you know what? I haven't got to get this done screw that I'm not I'm not doing it because <laughs> it was it would have been free work free information free strategic thinking for a company that I may not have actually worked for I would have had to have paid to got there paid to get there even and I'd have sweated out a week I was just like I'm, I'm out I'm not doing it <laughs> and on that you do have the maturity and the experience and actually the years of experience in the field to know that you can pass on that and then go and find something else while someone who is new in the field would probably have gone and done all of that. Oh, I'm sure loads of people would have done it anyway, or in case. And I, it was certainly something I was going to do in case until I realised, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm already stressing about this place. I don't even work there. And it would have stopped me being able to do other things, other applications yeah. as well. And it was, it was just too intense. I think there's been others that I did do which again took time but I didn't spend much time they probably should have taken longer than I gave them but I was you know decided that I was going to limit how much work I did for free because that was if effectively what some of them were was free work and and solutionizing and um, I didn't want to give away too much in fact there was <laughs> there was one where they were literally asking me to share my best ideas for this particular problem that they had and I thought well if I do all this now they're going to a, want me to, if I'm successful in getting this job, they're going to want me to deliver this, which is not going to happen <laughs> very quickly. Um, and also B, I can't, I'll run out of things to sell myself with in the future stages. And 
and I didn't want to give them all my stuff for free either. They might still go and execute them. Who knows? Yeah. So yeah, it's, doing it's some consulting life. for free. <laughs> yeah. It's really, and I think when I've been in a job before and have gone through a process like this, it didn't feel like I was doing work for free because I was still doing my own job and getting paid for that. And it didn't feel like much extra. Whereas when you're not getting paid at all and you're doing this in the daytime, it does feel, it does feel like you're doing stuff for free. And maybe I think some of them were too early in the process as well. So you don't understand the job enough or the hiring managers or what they're really looking for. And so you end up possibly wasting not just your time, but theirs because you might be so misaligned or just get it wrong. I think maybe if it was later in the process and you already liked them, they already kind of liked you, but they just wanted to work out how you would do some stuff. Maybe if they're already that sure, maybe they could even pay you for it. Maybe they say, we'll pay you for four hours of work. This is the brief. And maybe that is how you kind of get past that problem. You you then ask fewer people to do it. So it doesn't cost you very much. I don't know, yeah. just a thought. That's, uh, and yeah, and in fact, this is a way to, to save time, right? Because when you do the assignment, you then have to either go through it or run through it in an interview and all these things. So if it's someone that you're not sure you want to hire, from the hiring manager's perspective, they're wasting time, but from the candidate perspective as well. And this is something I can relate to. And, you know, when you said if they come later in the process, this is exactly what I had when I interviewed with Monzo. It was the last step for me. The case study was definitely the last step, but I've had, I was put forward for an interview with an organization that I had not heard of before. And you know, when you go through recruitment agencies, they have the brief and all these things, but they're not the hiring managers. So they can only give you so much about the job. And I was wanting to find out more about them because I didn't know the organization, what the role was about and all these things. And he said, okay, I will put you forward for an interview with them. Uh, so through the process and I was like, okay, cool. So at least I can ask my questions. And although on their website, <laughs> it was saying that, so their mission and their beliefs and values and all these things were all around the fact that your tech knowledge should then hold you back uh, from getting to where you want to be or doing great stuff. But the first interview, I am not joking, was not about me chatting with HR or the hiring manager. It was a coding test. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is very misaligned <laughs> with your values and what you're saying. Uh, and I'm thinking, I, I don't really want to do a coding test for someone I don't know. And I don't even know if I'm interested in the job because I don't really know what it's about. And just like you, I thought, well, you know what? I might have to do coding tests later. I haven't done one in a while, so it's good practice, but it's just time wasted because I don't want to do a test if I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Yeah, I agree. I think there's just one where that's been the first stage for me and I completely missed the ball. And I could tell, I could tell I wasn't confident in it. And as I was presenting it, I was like, I'm sure this isn't what they want. But what I did was to get around that was at the end, I said, I don't think this is what you want, but this is what I did because of how I interpreted it. What did you actually want? Mm. And then they kind of reframed it completely. And I was like, oh, OK, if that's what you want, then this is what I would do. And just basically took another 10 minutes of their time, giving them probably the answer that they then did want. And therefore they put me through. So I think that was, that was how I got around it. But I wasted some time first prepping for something I didn't understand at all. Yeah, but 
I, I guess being courageous and straightforward as well to say, I'm not sure this is what you want, what it is that you want. But also, I guess this is one of the biggest problems we have in, in data, right? Making sure that we understand what we're working on. So that already proves that you can do that. If someone is hiring someone who might be a bit less confident and is already stressed because they're going through interviews and just presents whatever they prepared, they might be missing on good candidates as well. Imagine if you hadn't done that. Yeah, no, exactly. It's possibly, it's like being given an ambiguous question at work or saying, create this for me. And the, But usually you'd get the chance to be like, so what exactly do you want? Why? Tell me more about it. But without that opportunity, because it wouldn't be fair either if just one candidate had that chat and not all candidates. So I understand why briefs need to be the same, but I think there's definitely a call for them to be a lot more a lot more detailed and clear and possibly later in the process you already understand the job a bit more and I'm going to call for them to be paid work that that limits the amount of time you do on it as well I remember as an interviewer um we at Gymshark we asked candidates to do xyz and some did it in less than a day I remember this one candidate he presented it and I was like wow this this would have taken him a very very long time and I asked him how long did you spend on this he said oh my entire weekend and every evening this week oh, like oh my god like it's ruined your life for the last week because there was no clarity in the question around how long really you should be spent on it and how good it should be so he yeah. spent all this time on it and then also he didn't get the job anyway and I just I felt awful I mean, fortunately, I was assisting that process. It wasn't mine. But still, it was, um, we need to do better. Do you think there is a way to do case studies without them being a take-home assignment? This is like we did at Sainsbury's. We would do a technical test, but we would do it live. So everybody had the same sort of amount of time unless they had a reasonable adjustment request to have more time. And it would, in a physical world, non-remote, we would give them a laptop with the questions on and we'd sit with them and they'd have the time. And then at the end, we'd ask them questions about, we'd ask them for answers and then ask them questions and chat about it. So it was all part of that interview process. And then we did that. We turned that into a remote process as well, where we would email them at a certain time, then have a call with them an hour later. So it kind of time boxed it. But yeah, so maybe there is. Yeah, that works for the technical assignment. Well, you know, when it's like a business case or or something like that, because right now what's happening is we sent a few questions and we have to either build a presentation around it or even sometimes there is data and you have to to analyze the data. So I wonder if there is a way to maybe do that together. So being like, this is the situation, how can we approach it and make it more of a conversation than uh, you're presenting that to me? Yeah, actually, there's a couple of examples where one was just come prepared to talk about it. Mm. And then when I, all I did was think about it, made a couple of notes on my phone, but certainly didn't prep anything. And then when I got there, I was able to just talk about X and it came easy to me because actually X is exactly the sort of work I wanted to do. Okay, I suppose in your example, if there's some data to analyze as well, I mean, either they're assessing you for the, your technical ability of crunching that data or they're assessing you for your, like you said in your example, the what would you do in this situation and how would you approach it? You could certainly talk about one without doing it, but you kind of want to know if they can do it or if they're taught. Yeah. So it's tricky. It is tricky. But I don't know. I think if you can say we only want you to spend X hours on this, see where you get to in that time. Yeah, definitely. That, that would help save some of those horror stories. But yeah, I think if it's not paid, it's, it is hard. 
that would be a, an ideal world Lizzie <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about what I might do with candidates in the future if I have the opportunity to change how I do it I think I might offer might try might try yeah that that would be good I I do wonder if some organizations actually do that it would be nice to see or if, mm. if things change in the future that that would be good or there could be like a briefing call as well to solve the ambigu- ambiguity question so all yeah. the candidates get exposed to the same kind of questions and answers and yeah. all get the same. That might be useful as well. Yeah. Did you have to do any numerical reasoning tests? Nope. Which is a shame because I'm actually good at those. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. These are the ones that keep me up at night. So this time <laughs> around, I did not have to do any. But I remember in the past having to do that. Oh my God, I would get so anxious. I would not sleep the night before and I wouldn't sleep the night after. It's crazy. I mean, I also did mathematics. I just can't do them. I don't know why I get, you know, when you have like this blocker where you can't do anything, this is what happens to me with <laughs> numerical reasoning tests. Oh, I'm like that with, the, I suppose, the case studies and the presentations. I'm a very, I mean, we're, we're opposite ends of the spectrum, aren't we? You're a planner. You're definitely a, a P on Myers-Briggs. No, a J. You're the J, which is the planning, the judgment one. Mm. And I am a P, which does not stand for planning. I don't know what it stands for, but it's the, I'll get it done, but it will be as last minute as possible. And that's only if you can explain to me that it absolutely has to be done at all that's that's me so I'm like the opposite end for you so I might stress about a presentation or a case study for ages and then like an hour before it just quickly bash it out but an exam where there's no prep to do or a test you can just rock up and do it I'm absolutely fine with oh yeah no that that's definitely not for me especially when you see you know the clock ticking and it's <sighs> like, I, I still have to go through half of the questions and uh I'm past the time and uh, yeah no <laughs> It'd be useful to know how they're used and before you do it. So you've got a bit of focus about, okay, I understand why I'm doing this. I think we did yeah. them with, um, at Sainsbury's, we did them with our interns. And quite often it was to help just whittle down because there were so many um, and all the CVs looked quite similar. They were all studying similar things. They'd all done a bit of work experience and they're on paper really hard to differentiate between. So mm. those tests, you didn't need a high mark, just just enough so that we could whittle it down a little bit. But it was, I mean, the mark, the pass mark we had, I think the threshold was like 40, 50% or something. Like it wasn't high, just so that we could whittle down a little bit the pile of CDs you went through. And then I think we didn't use the score after that, really. But incidentally, most of the people we ended up hiring would all have super high scores. So maybe actually it would have been really useful to use a bit more. But yeah, it wasn't, I hope that it didn't induce too much stress or put candidates off and maybe it is something we should think about if it's not really that used yeah is there anything that you felt like it felt off or something that you felt was really great in the interview process that that you did I think the first conversations can either be really really good or really really bad depending on who they're with I think the bad ones were always where you were you were with an HR rep I don't know what roles there were various different job titles different places but you might talk to HR for a quick phone call then you might have an hour with them and it feels like an interview like all the questions they ask you are interview questions and then at the end of maybe an hour and a half total of chat and interviewing they then say okay I'm going to put you through to the hiring manager and then you effectively do it again and it just Mm. adds it adds weeks to the process as well as time and you end up answering the same questions I think that is quite or it just feels like such a waste of time I think my best examples have been the complete opposite where the hiring manager has actually gone out to give you 
a quick call and they've varied between five minutes and 30 minutes where they just, the hiring manager, not the recruiter, just checks that you're both aligned on what the role actually is before you waste anyone's time. And then they might put you into HR to ask other questions, but they then, they just tick you off as, yeah, you know what the job is you've applied for. And I know that you know that and let's move forward. I think that's the, the best start to the process. Yeah, because they will know better also what kind of profile they're, they're looking after and they will be more equipped to answer questions related to the role than, than HR. Yeah, and not to put HR down by any means, and I, I've worked with some brilliant talent partners who know inside out the jobs and who we're looking for and things, and I would trust implicitly to talk to these people. But now seeing it from a candidate's point of view, you do end up repeating yourself, and it is a lot of time. So, yeah, how can we find a balance? Yeah. What would you say is your ideal recruitment process? Ooh, a quick call with the hiring manager to check I understand the job and that it aligns. A quick agreement on from their part on what the salary available is. I hate it when you give a number and they're like, oh, yeah, sure, that's fine. And they're secretly thinking, oh, we've got a cheap candidate here. Um, or when you give a number and they're like, oh, no, we can't do that. At least you you can rule it out. But I wish they would give their number. I think they're the better ones because either you can straight away rule it out or you can be like, oh, okay, this is a lot to go for here. I can focus more energy on this. I can prove that I'm worth that. So I far prefer it when the employer sets how much they want to pay for the role. And I think it's only fair because they know how much they're willing to pay. I don't see why they would be asking the candidates for how much they want. Um, this, this doesn't make sense. I have an episode on negotiation with Vis Brightby, if I remember when I'm going, definitely going to link that to the, the show notes. But mm. so what I liked from when I interviewed with Monzo, so I spoke with HR and she did ask me what my salary ex expectations were for that role. But that was after we've had a few conversations. So I had a better view of what the role was about. And I mean, I had been off the market for five years and a half. What do I know what, <laughs> what the market looks like right now? So what I've done is because I know people ask that question, I had gone on Gumtree and looked for how much they were paying for that role which works quite well for big companies right so companies that have a decent number of people they would people would put that on gumtree so how it works is you give some information about yourself in exchange of having access to the platform for a year or so or something like that so what i said is okay so i haven't been on the market for a while but from what i've seen on gumtree and maybe it's wrong because i mean this is data entry you don't know what people actually put in there if it's the truth <laughs> or not <laughs> and i said this is what was written is that correct and then she said yes and then she went on and told me about all the different salary bands and all these things and I felt like this was quite a honest and open conversation so I felt more comfortable chatting about salary levels and things like that knowing that they were being transparent on the other side but I've also had people saying oh what salary are you on right now and I'm thinking oh. how is that relevant to the role I'm applying for because this is different company different industry yeah. different role so and you have no about? idea what my personal circumstances were when I accepted this last job like it's yeah it really bugs me that the current salary is taken so much into account rather than thinking about what do we think this person is worth to do the job we have to do which it, it's so much about well how much can we get them for rather than mm. how much should we be paying them which is why you end up with all of this disparity then between colleagues in a workplace uh, exactly and we were I wanted to chat a bit about you know the inclusivity of this whole process so we are now talking about 
money and how disparities are created. Um, and you also mentioned, you know, the organization that asked you to be <laughs> in the middle of nowhere at 8.30 on a Monday morning. This as well doesn't help for inclusivity. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think there's quite a lot in the process that isn't inclusive. I think there's also a bit about the diversity of the places you're going for that you get to see. Like so many companies I've gone through quite a lot of processes with and not met a single woman at all mm. during that process. And there was one job actually where the CEO and his entire board were men apart from the HR director. And also the only other woman I spoke to was the PA helping to organise all of the, the meetings. And it, it was just... I couldn't believe how undiverse it was. And I remember talking about someone's kids, that someone was talking about their holiday or their kids and their school or whatever. So I was asking questions about flexibility and they were all in the office quite a lot. And mm. I said, you know, where are the kids? And one of them said, oh, they're at home with the wife. I was like, okay, great. I, uh, <laughs> I don't have a wife um, right now. So nor do I have kids currently. But the, the but point was that didn't... I do have family and he is a lot of caring required but <laughs> yeah no that is no small task it was more that I couldn't I couldn't imagine hiring women into that workplace knowing that I could offer them a really flexible role because I wouldn't have one and it just was it just didn't feel it just didn't feel right I think that's kind of the diversity side of it and then I suppose on the inclusivity side some I'm trying to think of some examples of things that I heard sometimes it's about who you know I remember one <laughs> One interviewer, you know, through LinkedIn, you always have connections. And yeah. one, one of them said, oh, you must know this person. I was like, yeah, yeah. They said, oh, I'm playing golf with so-and-so next week. And that was kind of the, well, I don't play golf with them. Does that mean I'm going <laughs> to end up getting behind? And I think what other crazy examples there were oh there was some colleagues who were interviewing me from this was a global job and for them it was 4am and I was like what how and why are you talking to me at 4am they're like oh I work UK hours most of the time even though I live the other side of the world and then sometimes I work at midnight to chat to Australia and I was like oh my god like I am up for a job with travel but I don't want to Lizzie you're saying that I am not joking this is giving me goosebumps because how horrible is that with my family being in the Caribbean sometimes I come and work maybe a week or a couple of weeks from home and mm. my manager is always saying you can work on your own time but me being me I do want to make the effort and overlap as much as possible with UK time and I think that's fine for a week but when you do it like extensively it's so disruptive because it's like you know people are working night shift so you're up and working when it's nighttime outside and then you end up having to sleep during the day and you don't get the vitamin d that you need or all the, the energy you need and all these things and even for meals so i i know when i'm i'm back home when it's lunchtime in the UK, it's breakfast time in Guadeloupe. So I can't see my, myself eating a full meal at like 8 a.m. Uh, and what happens is I end up skipping lunch or eating lunch at dinner time or something like that. And you just end up being exhausted. So imagine if you're doing that constantly. This has to be horrible. Yeah. And so even though my job wouldn't necessarily have had that particular situation, it still would have had weird hours 
and mm. it just knowing that colleagues around the world were having to live like that, it, it just yeah it was quite um a, another example of how tricky it could be but but there are so many jobs that are worldwide so I, I'm not I can't just rule that out but it was certainly for my situation right now something that I knew it wasn't for me but it, it might suit others even in my last role we had colleagues in America and so you'd be you know meet, meetings would slip into like 5 6 7 p.m which was fine most of the time but you also have meetings at 8 a.m and 9 a.m mm. and your days just end up getting longer and longer and the response kind of was we're a worldwide business this is just what we've signed up for but I remember thinking that team in America didn't exist when I you know applied to join so it wasn't quite what I signed up for but um you know didn't mind it was the job but on reflection it's something I wouldn't choose on purpose and that's something certainly something I took for granted at Sainsbury's by being a UK business is we just didn't have that problem you worked when made sense to work there was no restriction to needing to be on at a certain hour because someone else around the world is also up at that hour yeah definitely Oh, well, <laughs> I know. And then I suppose then there's the inclusivity of questions. And I talk about neurodiversity a lot, being autistic and suspect ADHD as well, unconfirmed. But there's a lot of open questions, which I struggle with. And I, I'm very open in saying that I'm struggling with the open questions. I'm trying to think there was one question recently. What did they ask me? They asked, what would your perfect percentage split in your role be between... Oh. Um, spending time with your team, spending time thinking strategically and doing kind of problem solving and being with stakeholders. And I went down a path of, well, it completely depends. It depends what's going on. Um, it depends what the problems are. It depends how, you know, what level the team is at, who needs what attention right now, blah, blah, blah. I, I was like, it, there is no right answer. There's no particular answer to this because it completely depends. And then they reframed it for me. As I said, I was struggling and they said, well, what would your ideal be? And I said, oh, well, my ideal would probably be 100% of the time of my team because that's, you know, what I enjoy most. But I'm not looking for a job where that is the case either. I want to do those other things because I like doing them, but I, I can't answer this ideal. So I ended up giving a three ranges. What other questions? Where do you want to be in five or ten years? Oh. I don't know. <laughs> Retired? But that's not, <laughs> not the right option. Um, yeah, I don't know how to answer that one. Are they looking for? I don't know what they're looking for, what the point of it is. I think quite often when I say that, they're like, oh, we're just interested. I'm like, okay, well, you just stress me out because you're interested. Like, it has no impact on the. I think it's it's just uh, it was a question that potentially had some importance in the past, but is it relevant today? Where is the data field going to be in five years? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's roles that won't exist yet that I might want to do. Well, you can definitely talk over that one and it sounds impressive and exciting, but I, because I've definitely practiced just reeling off answers to questions that I find hard to understand. But yeah, there's been quite, I wish I had more examples written down now, but there's been so many where I'm like, I just don't know how to answer that because it's far too broad and vague. What exactly, and I'm quite happy asking this now, I say, what exactly do you want to understand so that I can help better answer that question? Because mm. usually with anybody, and I remember this on interview packs back in the day and my in all my recent roles it would say probe and probe and probe and probe and keep probing so basically you're giving somebody total ambiguity but then you get more specific I my ask back to those questions is can you probe me straight away because I want to be more specific for you yeah that's a that's a really good advice actually I love that 
Oh, good. I suppose another thing about this isn't just me, I'm sure, and it's certainly probably not just neurodiversity and would help everybody, but mm. phone calls, relentless, unexpected phone calls drive me crazy. Especially if you haven't oh, if you haven't saved the phone number and you don't know who it is. It could be a job, it could be a recruiter, it could be somebody you're waiting to hear from, it could be spam, it could be somebody trying to interview you about life insurance, it could be anybody. And when you don't know who it's going to be and what they want to talk about, I don't want to answer or I end up answering and then getting flustered because I'm not ready to take that call. I far prefer it when they drop you an email or a WhatsApp to say, I'd like to chat about this. When's good? And I'll say, oh, I'm free now, actually, or in half an hour or or you arrange a time. I think that's far better than just, and I, I say relentless because it has been relentless, the number of phone calls. Like it's all, I, like, I can't cope with it anymore. When I know who it is and I can save their number, I then can choose to ignore them. Well, there was one employer who's hiring manager's PA used to ring me constantly pointlessly so I remember answering the first couple of times and she was asking me so are you are you still okay for that interview which I had agreed to do it's like yeah <laughs> is there anything I can help you with and they're like no I was like okay and it was just so awkward and weird and they would keep ringing me even though I'd answered to everything over email and then having nothing to say on the phone and I just in the end I just didn't answer and I would email them whenever they called saying I saw that you called is there anything you need and they'd be like no <laughs> like okay can you stop it just stop it um <laughs> this is uh I'm laughing because it is hilarious but I think I would freak out <laughs> you know how I am I'm a planner if you keep interrupting my day <laughs> I am going to lose it <laughs> mm, exactly it is interrupting your day plan it or just drop them a message I think would be really helpful one more thing I can add, it would be the ghosting. I think so many people apply for jobs and never hear back or they interview for jobs and never hear back. And quite often it is, there's nothing in it. Quite often I've, I've emailed or called and they've just been busy or they've had more candidates to see. And then it ends up always being a yes and progress. But it's just as a candidate receiving it, it's so rude. But I know, I know that I definitely did this with candidates over the years. And I just, if you're listening and I've ghosted you, I apologize. So yeah, please don't ghost your candidate. And also as a candidate, be relentless. Just continually email them really nicely thing and say things like, it was really great to chat. I'd love to stay connected if you have any feedback. And if you just keep, keep up that contact they will if they like you they'll get back to you so you'll quickly understand if it's real ghosting or not and also with ghosting especially during the summer holidays everything can take longer because so many people are away yeah and I think as a candidate without a job it feels so much harder than if you were in a job and I think people forget that perhaps you're applying for a job because you need money and they expect you to be patient for months and months and processes I think the longest one I've been in has taken like three four months but they just think it's fine. And I, I actually <laughs> recently chased one that was ghosting me that said, oh, yeah, they've just taken so long to get through this round because one of the candidates was unavailable for so long. But they hadn't spoken to me for effectively a month. Yeah, but I think you you could have people say, sorry, we're going to take a bit longer because... Yeah, exactly. Rather than me thinking, oh, well, clearly that didn't go well. But actually, it did go well. It just, yeah. So it feels very different, doesn't it, when you're not mm. in a job and you need a job. So I think, I think a lot of companies will lose out on a lot of good candidates just for taking too long. Yeah, yeah. well, they're bad. <laughs> it's been a very interesting summer. How about you? I mean, other than Monzo, like how many did you really go through? I, not that many. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I had one in, yeah I had one interview with BT 
I spoke with recruiters about a few companies, but I hadn't openly said I was looking for a job yet. My goal was to go through my holiday and then when I'm back, say I'm looking for a job. But then I I secured the role with Monzo before that, which was great because one of the stress I had was I'm not going to be able to plan the next two months <laughs> if I if I don't have a job. So I, at least that was sorted and, and I could move on with my life and think about the future. Nice one. Thank you, Lizzie, for joining me on the podcast today. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, thanks, Karen. I enjoyed it. Hi again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't yet listened to the first part of this conversation with Lizzie, head to episode 71. As this is the last episode before the new year, I wanted to wish you a very Merry Christmas if you're celebrating and a Happy New Year. See you in January. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Until then, if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. If you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.